This morning? Good, great to see y'all. You know, the, the bumper gets a little bit shorter and you start seeing everybody move a little faster. Y'all notice that? It's like everybody's like, we gotta scatter a little bit quicker than we had to at the last sermon bumper. So, good to see y'all. Great to be with you. Did everybody survive first week of school? Yeah, students, students, you, uh, you guys all right? Yeah, you're gonna make it, you'll be fine. More importantly, teachers, y'all hanging in there? You got a long road ahead of you. You got a long road ahead of you. We're praying for you. We're rooting for you. We think that uh, God's going to do some great things in and through your school year this year. Um, you know, last week we started a new series called Cultivating a Life with God. Cultivating a Life with God. And the, the idea being behind that is, uh, and you probably feel the weight of this, right? Uh, life's not getting any less busy. Life's not getting any less complicated. Um, and so if we're going to be healthy people, and if we're going to be a healthy church, then we've got to live a life where, where we're walking with the Lord. We've got to be walking with God. And, and to walk with God means that we have to make him a priority. Most importantly, we've got to make him the priority. And, and I don't know about you and your life, but, but for me, it's fairly easy for me to make God a priority in my life. Would you agree with me? You know, I, I know enough to know what I don't know. And I know that I need a higher power than, than me and what I have and the gifts that I bring to the table. So I know that at some point I've, I've got to lean into, lean into God. And so it's easy for me to make him a priority, but it's hard for me to make him the priority. And yet, despite all of that, that's what God asks of us. He says, hey, listen, I want you to make me the priority in your life. And so that's what we're talking about over the next several weeks is how do we make God the priority in my life? Last week I simply said, you know, there's a lot of things happening in the world. Um, we looked at the story of Peter and the boys in the boat. Uh, the waves are kicking up off of the sea. The wind is, 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 is howling on them, uh, right? And there's a lot about that scene that reminds us that while we can't control the wind and the waves, we can control where our eyes are looking in the midst of those things, right? So, so we might not be able to control the wind and the waves, but what I can control is where my eyes and my focus are. And the reminder of that is that even in the midst of the chaos in our lives, our eyes need to be centered on Jesus. Remember, he needs to be the sole focus of our life because when he is, when he's the sole focus of our life, when he is the priority of our life, uh, we're promised that he takes care of the rest. He takes care of everything else. All the rest of the priorities in your life, um, as important as they are, when he's the priority, he makes them all come into line as he sees fit. And that's the place that we want to be individually. That's the place that we want to be as, as a church. Now, this morning, we're going to continue that series, continuing that thought, making Jesus the priority. How do we do that? Um, and today, I'm going to give you the survival guide. How about that? The survival guide to how to make Jesus the priority of our lives. It's the survival guide. It, let's, just, let's, let's just pretend that you and I are on a, some kind of a game show. And on this game show, the winning person in this, this game show, or maybe the winning team, gets to meet with the guy, Bear Gryllis. Y'all know Bear Gryllis is a survival expert? So none of you know who? Thank you. Thank you. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here, because that illustration's not going to land if y'all don't know who I'm talking about. So Bear Gryllis, we get an opportunity, we get to have coffee with Bear Gryllis, and, and we ask Bear, hey Bear, you've been through a lot of stuff. You've seen some 
pretty wild things. You've been able to survive it all. What are the basic things that everyone needs to survive life? What are the basic things that you and I need to have in our life in order to survive? And here's what I think Bear would tell you. Bear would probably say, well, he'd probably be in line with science. Here's what science tells us. Science says that we all need six things to live. You and I all need six things to live. Here's what those six things are. We need air to breathe. We need water to drink. We need food to eat. We need shelter from the elements. We need clothing to stay warm. And we need sleep for rest and to rejuvenate our bodies. Those are the six things that you and I need to survive. Did you know that? There's six things, basic things that you and I need in order to survive. Now, here's the deal. While those are true, and they are true, Jesus adds another element to the mix. So he would say, yes, all six things, all six of those things are important and you need them to survive, but there's actually one more thing that you need to survive as well. In fact, that's what he says in Matthew chapter four, verse four. In that particular verse, here's what Jesus says. It'll be on your screen for you. Jesus makes this bold declaration. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus makes this bold declaration, and his point here is to help us see that life is more than bread and water, that you and I need more than bread and water in order to survive, but in reality, in addition to those things, we also need every word of the Lord in order for you and for me to survive. We need God's word in our life. We need God's word in our life. Now, keep in mind what has just happened right before Jesus makes this statement. He's just been baptized. He's beginning his public ministry. But before he does that, he is led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, while he's doing that, he's on a fast for those 40 days and 40 nights. Now, it's helpful. Keep in mind that while Jesus is 100% God, he's also 100% man. So you can bet 40 days, 40 nights, he's tired, he's exhausted, he's probably experiencing what you and I know as being hangry. You know what I'm talking about, hangry? Yeah, I know that, that's my spiritual gift is being hangry. So Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he's hangry and you know, per usual, Satan enters the scene and he does what Satan typically does. Uh, he sees a moment that seems like a weak and vulnerable moment to Jesus. And so he enters the scene. He begins to tempt Jesus. And here's what he says. He says, hey, if you, if you are who they say you are, then why don't you take this, this, uh, this rock and make it a loaf of bread? In other words, what, what Satan is doing to Jesus, he said, hey, if you are who you say you are, why don't you prove it? Show us. I'd love to see it. Prove it. Prove that you are who you say you are. And then Jesus makes this strange statement. You know, you think Jesus would just say, get behind these Satan. You think he would just shut him down, but he doesn't. He says, he says, oh no, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what you may not know is that when Jesus makes this declaration to Satan, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. We're gonna talk about that here in just a minute because it's gonna be important to the narrative. 
But that's what Jesus does. He doesn't disregard Satan. He looks directly to him. He quotes from the Old Testament and quotes God's word over Satan. Now, this is where, again, it gets really, really interesting. So I want you to follow me here. In Colossians chapter one, we just finished that book. We did a long study in Colossians chapter one. But in verse 16, Paul makes a pretty strange statement. Here's what he says. He says that for for by him, speaking of Jesus, for by him, all things were created on heaven and on earth. So Paul, speaking of Jesus, he says, all things were created on earth, heaven and on earth, by Jesus and for Jesus. That means that everything created in heaven and on earth was created by the work of Jesus. That means that he was in the beginning with the Father. That means that everything that uh, was created, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything everything in between, you, me, in this room, we are all created by Jesus. Now, here's why this matters. This matters because if he's the creator of it all, then he knows the intricate details of all that he created. But most importantly, he knows how his creation will survive or decay. If you were to create something and you knew every intricate detail, then you know all of the holes, you know all of the things of which that will rob it of its life. And so Jesus, being the creator and the sustainer of everything, says, hey, listen, you cannot live on bread alone, but you must live, you shall live on every word of God. Now, that's pretty cool. Now get this, everything that Jesus does is purposeful. He begins his earthly ministry in the wilderness, spends 40 days without food. Why? It's because he's purposely demonstrating what Israel never learned in the wilderness. This is really, really neat. In Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, Moses is speaking of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. And this is what Jesus is quoting from. It'll be up on your screen. Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. Here's what Moses writes. He says, and he humbled you, speaking of Israel, and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus, or God took Israel out into the wilderness for a purpose. That purpose was for them to see that they cannot live on bread alone, but they needed God despite it all. For their past, for their future, and for their present, they needed to learn what it means to rely on God. And so Jesus enters into that experience. He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, all to let us in on a little bit of a secret, that you and I cannot live on what the world offers us. We can't live on just bread. We can't live on just water. We can't live with just clothing or shelter or air. We need, we need all of those things. But what Jesus is showing us in his 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness is that we are desperately in need of something outside of us, something outside of the physical universe, that we are desperately in need of him and his word. If you are going to survive this world and all the chaos and the complexities that come with it, then Jesus wants you to know that you are desperately in need of his word. I'll explain this a little bit further. So there's really two ways of seeing the world. There's a naturalistic view, and then there's a supernatural natural way you can look at the world. So a naturalistic view, a naturalistic thinking says that all that exists is what I can see, 
smell, touch, taste, or hear. Those are the five senses. That's a naturalistic view. So I can look at the world and go, all that exists is what meets the senses. That means that the universe, human beings in particular, are nothing more than physical beings. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, Jesus gives us another look at the world on which we live, right? Remember, he took place in creation and in the creation of all things. And here's what he's offering us because it's something so much bigger, so much better, so much more than what the physical environment can offer us. He's making the argument in this particular verse, Matthew chapter four, verse four, he's making this argument that there's two realities. There's the physical reality that you and I can see, touch, taste, smell, and hear. That's true. That's, that's, that's real. It's tangible. But he's also saying, hey, but there's also a spiritual reality as well. When it comes to you and me, he says, hey, you're not only a physical being, but you're also a spiritual being. By design, we are also spiritual beings. In fact, a holistic view of humans, of us, is that we are mind, body, and soul. That's important. So while, yes, human life can be sustained on the physical environment and what we need to survive, but what Jesus is saying here is that to be truly healthy, to be whole, we must take care of our souls. And in order to do that, and in order to do that, we must feed our soul on every word of the Lord. Listen, if you're just merely surviving, maybe you're, maybe you're under the weight of the water, <laughs> waves are crashing, winds rising, maybe you're feeling defeated, maybe you're exhausted with life, it could be that we are so focused on our physical needs that we have forgotten the needs of our soul. I see this all the time, right? Like this idea of self-care, that's a whole thing right now is we've got we've to pursue self-care. We've got to eat right. We've got to, uh, you know, go to bed at the right time. We've got to exercise, uh, all of these things, right? Again, super important. You need them to survive. But so often we focus on all of those things that we miss what Jesus is saying here that you cannot live on bread alone, but on every word of God. See, we focus on our physical, but we miss our spiritual. And in so doing, we're dying from the inside out. We can be so focused on the physical and all these things that we think we need in order to survive, but Jesus is saying, yes, but, but what you really need, what you really need is me. And you need to hear from me and you need to feed your soul with me in my word. And so when Jesus says that man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word of God, it's an invitation for soul care. Not self-care, but soul care. Because if we get our soul care right, the self-care will take care of itself. If we get our soul care right and we make that the priority, what Jesus is saying is everything else will take care of itself. But if you get those out of order, while we may survive for a little while, and, and, and while we may look like we have it all together, on the inside, we're, we're dying, we're decaying. You know, that's why so many people can walk into a church and they look like they have it all together. You know, 
we, we walk in and it's like, ah, man, I got my Sunday best on, right? Looking good, feeling right. And yet at the same time, we can be dying on the inside and nobody knows it because we focus in on the physical, but we miss the spiritual. And all the while, Jesus says, hey, listen, you're more than a physical being, you are a spiritual being. You have a soul, and that soul needs its creator. By the way, it was designed for its creator. And I have designed it in such a way that when you prioritize me and you prioritize my word above everything else, you will be healthy and you will experience wholeness. Wholeness. You know, I think this is what David was talking about. Psalm chapter one, it's probably my, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. Psalm chapter one, this is what, I think this is exactly what David's talking about. Here's what he says. He says, blessed is the man, which by the way, to be blessed simply means to be whole, to be healthy, to be happy, right? It's this holistic view, it's to, it's to, it's to be right, it's to be good, it's to be at peace, it's to be whole and healthy and happy. And he says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law or the word of the Lord. And on his word, he meditates day and night. David says, healthy is the man, happy is the man, whole is the man who delights himself in his car, in his house, in his retirement account, his bank account, and who's in his wife or his husband or his children. No! David says, happy is the man, whole is the man who, who delights himself in his work and to an image and to comfort and to pleasure and to power and authority. No! David says, happy is the man, healthy is the man, healthy is the woman who delights themselves in the word of the Lord. If you want to be whole, if you want to experience wholeness, have true happiness, that happiness that can't be shaken. We're not talking about the world's view of happiness. We're talking about a deep-seated joy that the wind and the waves can't touch. We delight ourselves in the Lord and his word. David even gives us a picture of what that looks like. Here's the picture, the word picture that he gives. He says, he's like a tree. Think a big, strong tree that's lasted thousands of years. A tree strong, planted by streams of living water that yields its fruit in its seasons. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. See, we have this belief that if I work harder if I get that cell, right, if I, if I build a big enough house, if I have enough stuff, if I have a big enough bank account or retirement account, then I'll experience what David's talking about. Then I'll be a tree that, that the wind and the waves can't touch. But if I just build this fortress, if I have enough money, if I have all these things, I, then I'm untouchable. Let me remind you of Job. Because here, David is inviting us into another experience. He says, hey, listen, happy, whole is the man, is the woman who delights themselves in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by streams of living water that bears fruit in its season. It does not wither. 
in times of drought, but rather it stands strong. It produces fruit and leaves in its season. This is the picture of a healthy person who delights themselves in the Lord, who delights themselves in God's word, who meditates on it day and night. This is the picture, this is the invitation that Jesus has given to us as we make him the priority. If he's the priority, then we will delight in his word. If he's not the priority, then we're not. We're gonna, we're gonna prioritize other things. And guess what? We're gonna wither under the waves of our circumstances and all the things that are happening around us. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, um, but our physical being is directly tied to the health of our spiritual being. They're tied. To neglect one for the other is to choose again to wither under the weight of our circumstances and all of the things that are going around us. And here's what I know, and I know this to be true, and honestly, I'm super sorry that it's true, but there's gonna be a portion of you who are gonna walk out of this room and you're gonna leave these doors and you're gonna go right back to your life, withering under the waves of your circumstances and withering under the waves of your own success and withering under the waves of all of the things. And you're gonna hear what I say, but for whatever reason, it's gonna stay up here and it's not gonna hit here. And so really, I'm pleading, (laughs) honestly, I'm pleading with you to just give this a shot. I'm really pleading with you to not let this thing stay a theory of something that you've heard your whole life that, 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 that you, you know you need God's word and you know you need to prioritize it, but at the end of the day, I gotta prioritize all these other things because at the end of the day, I gotta take my kid to school, right? I gotta make it to work. Uh, I got all these job expectations. My phone's ringing off the hook. I got thousands of emails that I've gotta respond to. And, and I know, I, I, it stresses me out as I'm talking. You got a lot, I've got a lot. We've got a lot as a church. There's a lot coming down the pipe. There's a lot going on in life. And I'm just telling you, you can choose to make those things the priority and you can wither under the weight of them. And you can continue in your anxiety and your fear and in your, in your insecurity, or you can take this option and you can experience peace and joy, and patience, and you can watch God reorder your priorities in a way that nothing else can. And yet, I know that several of you are gonna walk out of this room and you're gonna hear what I'm saying and you're not gonna do it. And honestly, if I could just have coffee, let's just pretend we're having coffee right now. We're having coffee, we just got our cups, we're sitting down at the table. I'm asking you why. Why in the world will you not... Why in the world won't you do it? Please give me a reason why. I think the answer is because at the end of the day, we think we can do it without God. And if you're in a place where you think that you can do it without God, you are missing out. You are missing out on all the things that God can and will do in and through you. And you know what? Our church is missing out. Your family's missing out. Your workplace is missing out. Your community's missing out. We're all missing out on what God can do in and through you because we've got this belief that we can do it. David's life is a beautiful example of this. 
You know, David, here's what I love about David, King David. You know what I love about David? He's just like me and you. Isn't that crazy? Think about it. As a matter of fact, all the Bible stories, think about all the characters in the Bible. Man, they are just like you and me. They're just people, just like us. They got real lives, they got families, they got things going on. They're busy just like you and I, and yet they teach us how to walk with God. You know, David, born into a working class shepherd family. Just another guy on the block. You know, David wasn't even valued enough to get invited to the party. Knowing that Samuel was coming down, he was gonna be anointing the next king of Israel, David didn't even get the invite to be a part of that. And yet it's in God's divine wisdom that he chooses David to be the next king. But what happens next after in David's life? David's anointed king. Can you imagine this? Picture this. David gets anointed king and he gets no praise. He gets no applause. What happens? He's sent right back out in the field to shepherd sheep. Can you imagine growing up knowing that you're the next king of Israel and you're shepherding sheep? (laughs) It gets crazier. So then David gets brought in to serve his predecessor. The person he's gonna take the place of, David is now serving, caring for him. And guess what happens? Saul gets a little envious, starts seeking ways to kill David. David ends up spending a good majority of his life running from the person he is going to step into their shoes. David spends a great deal of time running for his life. Shortly after that, David ends up becoming the king of Israel. He ends up being the king of Israel for 40 years. You think you're busy? I think I'm busy, but I'm not shepherding the the, the entire nation of Israel for 40 years and leading the army and all of those things, right? David makes good decisions, he makes bad decisions. We know what those are. Right? All of the while, David continues to walk with the Lord. All the while, he continues to walk with the Lord. And now he finds himself at the end of his life. But because of the decisions that he has made, he doesn't get to follow through on his dream. You remember what David's dream was? David's dream was to build the Lord, uh, build the Lord a house, a place where God can dwell. But David, God doesn't allow David to do that, does he? No, he says, hey, because of the blood that you have on your hands, He says, you cannot build me a house. And so he has to hand that over to his son Solomon. And his son Solomon is the one who gets to build God a house. David spends his life, highs, lows, ups, downs. David spends a good deal of his his life feeling depressed, alone. You'll see that in the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, that's one of the things I love about the Psalms is that I see my life in the Psalms. I see David's highs, I see his lows, I see everything in between. I see these high moments where God's right there and then I see these moments where it seems like God is nowhere to be found. He questions the Lord, he says, Lord, how have you forsaken me? Where are you, Lord? Where are you in the midst of this battle? Where are you in my life? In the midst of these circumstances, in the midst of this diagnosis, in the midst of this wayward child, where are you, Lord? And yet at each and every psalm, David begins with a complaint and almost always says, but yet I will trust you, Lord. Even in the midst of all of it, I will trust you. So David comes to the end of his life and he begins to reflect on his desperate need for God's word for survival. And in Psalm chapter 19, here's what he writes. This is a beautiful chapter. I'm gonna begin in verse seven. And as I do, I just want you to hear it. I want you to hear the power of God's word in your life It's the power of God's word in David's life 
and it's available to you as well, you'll see why you need God's word to survive. Here's what he says, beginning in verse seven. He says that the law or the word of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of a honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, David asks. Declare me innocent from my faults. Who can do that? Who can keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins? Let them not have dominion over me, O Lord. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is David at the end of his life, handing over the throne to his son Solomon, who's going to get to take his dreams and and make them a reality. And David reflects on his life and he says, this is what has gotten me through it. This is what's gotten me through the highs. This is what's gotten me through the lows. This is what's gotten me through all of it. And he gives us 10 things. I want you to see these 10 things. Number one, he says that it's God's word that revives our soul when we are weary, exhausted, and burned out. Is that you? Did I just describe you in this, this morning? Weary, exhausted, burned out. God's word revives our soul. Number two, it provides wisdom when nothing else can. Listen, the world is not getting any less complex, and yet God's word stands true. God's word fills us with joy when we are down and out. That's number three. Number four, it, God's word opens our eyes to, the reality, to, to, to reality and what is true about us and the world around us. It tells us what is true. It never fades. It's always trustworthy when opinions change with the wind. Opinions, trends, change with the wind, but God's word never changes. It always stays true. Number six, more valuable to our survival than anything else. God's word is more valuable to our survival than anything else. If you have this, you have a shot. If you don't have this, you do not have a shot. This provides hope when there is no hope. It gives you direction when there is no direction. It gives you joy. There's no book like this. I think of Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. Beautiful passage. The author of Hebrews tells us that God's word is like a two-edged sword, that it pierces the, 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 the space between the bone and the marrow in our lives. As, as we open this book and as we read it, we think we're reading it, but yet it's reading us. It's reading us. That's why David says this. He says it, it, it reveals our errors. That's point number eight. It reveals our errors even when we can't see them ourselves. So often you and I are so clouded by our circumstances and where we are in life that we can't even see our own errors. That's why David says in Psalm 51, he says, clean my heart, Lord. Show me my faults. Psalm 139, he says, search me and know me. See my transgressions. Help me see where I have failed you. 
In our own eyes, sometimes we can't even see our own faults. Number nine, it offers us a way to freedom from our sin, shame and guilt. Did you know that? That God's word teaches you about Jesus, the one who came to this earth, who gave his life for you and for me, so that you'd be free from your sin, your shame and your guilt. He took all of that on the cross so that through the empty tomb you could walk out in freedom. There's nothing else that can do that. Your job can't do that. Your wife can't do that. Your husband can't do that. Your kids can't do that. Your money can't do that. Water can't do that. Clothing can't do that. Clean air can't do that. What's the point of of breathing clean air if we have no hope? What's the point of having the latest style clothing? We have no hope. What's the point of having a big old house? You can't take it with you. God's word satisfies our soul like nothing else can. Number 10, God's word leads us into life pleasing to him. And hear this, and makes us a blessing to other people. And I know this to be true for my own life, y'all. I'm not speaking, you know, you, yes, I'm a pastor, but I struggle just like you do. I got things going on in my life just like you do. I have to get up and I have to fight the snooze, snooze button just like you do. You know what I've started doing? I've started leaving my phone and my alarm in the bathroom so that I can't hit snooze, but I am forced to get up and be with the Lord. Desperate times call for desperate measures, man. You know, it drives Jordan nuts, but you know what? I'm, be, I'm gonna be with the Lord at 5.30 in the morning because once I get up, I'm not going back because I'm gonna prioritize the Lord. Right before I go to bed, I don't know about you, but when I lay my head down at night, my wheels start turning about all the fears and the worries. I'm not letting that do that anymore. So I'm gonna read the word right before I go to bed. It's right there. If I don't do that, it's because I'm lazy. Or it's because I'm prioritizing something else. I'm gonna fight for my soul. And I want you to fight for your soul. And I want you to experience these things that David has just run through this, this list, this beautiful list of things. I mean, that's the life I want to live, <laughs> right? Please tell me you want to live that life. Yes, she does. Yes, we want to live that life. I love this. Uh, famous or well-known pastor, John Blanchard, he wrote this. He said, surely we have to be realistic and honest with ourselves about how regularly we need to turn to our Bibles. How often do we face problems, temptations, and pressure? Every day. Then how often do we need instruction, guidance, and great encouragement? Every single day. To catch all of these felt needs up into even a greater issue. How often do we need to see God's face, hear his voice, feel his touch, know his power every single day? If you want to survive, prioritize the Lord. Get alone with him. Open up the word and let it revive your soul and change your life. You know, last week I talked about the wind and the waves and how we can't control the wind and the waves. Um, there's this, in Lido Village, it's a small Southern California town, there's this sign on a building that says you can't control the waves, 
can't control the wind, rather. You can't control the wind, but we can choose to adjust the sails. We can't control the wind, but we can adjust the sails. This is the way you adjust the sail in your life. You get up out of bed. You make him a priority. You make him the first priority. You open up his word. You hear from him. You read it and you hear from him and you just simply say, Lord, I just want to hear from you. Even in Leviticus, I promise he'll talk to you. He might even say, man, thank God for Jesus. But that would be enough, right? Open it up, prioritize him and watch him transform your life from the inside out. Watch him revive your soul. It'll change your life and it'll, be, it'll make you a blessing to everybody else around you. Wow, that's powerful. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the life he lived, that he came to this earth to give his life for us, to redeem us from our sin, shame, and guilt. Lord, thank you for the word that is trustworthy, that it never fades, and it never promises to return void, Lord. I'm thankful for Isaiah 55, 11, that as I preach it, it never returns void. As I sit down tired and exhausted and I'm even falling asleep, and I'm reading your word early in the morning, Lord, I'm reminded that it doesn't return void. When I do it right before I go to bed, it doesn't return void. God, help us to remember that truth. God, help us to believe that, Lord, while the physical um, things around us plead for our attention and plead for us to, to hold on to them as our life source, help us to see and know, Lord, that we cannot survive with those alone. As good as those things may be, they will fell us, but you and your word never do. They never fell us and they never return void. Help us to hang our hope Hang us to hang our hat on that, Lord. Father, it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.